0: Just like we do at the shows. Just like we do at the shows. One, two, three, I'm I'm going going to die. Everybody, it's Ned Buskirk back with "You're Going to Die" the podcast. Welcome to another episode. Boy, what did it take to get to this friggin' episode? Yeah, it's been a it's been a bit of a two weeks. Uh, let me kind of break it down down for you. I thought that this podcast needed to be every week, and that's kind of a lot. I realized to ask considering that it's just a new thing to be getting content into and out of and all of those and my life right now with the homeschooling the kids and figuring out getting like new versions of you're going to die in the world and just adjusting to reality in general it's 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 a lot to fit in to a schedule but i would say especially considering the emotional roller coaster that i've been strapped to over the last few weeks imagining getting a podcast out not impossible Not impossible, but uh, some of the low uh, depressed states of being are not exactly, at least in the midst of them, great fodder for podcast material. It feels like grief stricken in a way that I don't need to be adding to it with super sad content constantly. And so I know I've admitted it's something ongoing with you're going to die. I understand. It's always a process for me. Did I cry too much at the last show? Is it too much to talk about my mom over and over again, my mother-in-law, all the grief and loss, the ways I'm sad right now? Is it too much to put on others And, uh, you know, I think it's possible sometimes to have that be real, but I guess it's also not up to me to decide like people either don't listen or they do. That's, that's an option everybody has, but I still want to be doing a little bit of the work I found this week of digging myself out of that low, sad space and finding some humor. And lightness, and not negating it fully, but just making room enough to be like, okay, I can be funny. I can be funny. I can maybe not take it completely 100% too seriously. And so this week has felt themed in that way. And so we totally didn't get another episode out within a week's time. And I'm okay with it. And I feel like every couple of weeks is kind of the schedule we're, we're landing on right now. And, and by me getting this episode out when we are uh, is committing us to that, it feels kind of officially. And so you can count on a new episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast every couple of weeks. I said it out loud. It's on record. And I absolutely can just deny that I ever said it still. And do that only to make you listen to other episodes you may have not listened to just to see what I said before. Um, But no, 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 no. I am committing to that. And it feels good. It feels right. I feel good about it. But another part of how I got to even getting this done today is because this week has been accented by what it means to find joy and be funny and silly and absurd in spite of feeling really low, mostly, and depressed. I mean, really, like depression feels closer, a description that fits than usual for me and how I'm putting a movie on at the end of the day to watch some kind of distraction and numb out like I'm pretty good at doing at the end of a day and watching a pretty good movie and finding myself, literally, my eyes just kind of drifting away from the screen and just staring at a bookshelf. And I mean, like a shelf on a bookshelf, and not like daydreaming or getting lost in thought. Almost feeling the sadness layer over me like a blanket, you know, just sort of muted and um, without passion or electricity or excitement, um, like indifferent. And uh, that's been that's been hard, you know. But it also feels like someone told me. Jim Carrey said something about, I didn't watch it. I don't know if it's true. Look it up. But I think he said something about, uh, look it up. Listen to me. Um, Jim Carrey said something about, uh, depression being a resting place. And it feels that way. It feels like it, it, it can be part of our work and part of our rest to get ready and prepare for something else. And I went through that over the last couple of weeks between episodes here. And, uh, I think that it served that purpose. And then also I had to finally decide, okay, it's Wednesday morning and I want to do a meme that's funny for once. And it's content that might actually make someone laugh today and make them feel a little little, little better about what's going on. And so I, I wrote a to-do list. That's immediately what came to mind. I wrote a to-do list. Here, here's the to-do list. To-do list, uh, number one, take out trash. Number two, burst into tears. Number three, Zoom call. Number four, laugh hysterically at the absurdity of it all. Number five, go to bed. And uh, it felt good to get that out and share it with the You're Going to Die community. But it also served that purpose for me of reminding me I can be funny and it's okay. So that's what I've been through the last couple weeks a bit of that. And my daughter helped even too. I I came into her room one morning and she said that she had a joke that she wanted to tell me. She said, why did the chicken clap its hand on the chicken? And I said, I don't know. And she said, because it was clapping. And she'd made this joke up. She said it was clapping, and she showed me her hands clapping together. And the joke is that the chicken isn't clapping its hand on another chicken. It's clapping its own hand. It's clapping. It's applauding. And she she laughed. She laughed so hard. Listen, she's six years old. All right. If you're not laughing, you're disappointed, you feel let down. Just realize that that's not the point. The point is that she was just laying in bed trying to think of a riddle or a joke about chickens. And it came after me doing a little bit of work to come up with my own dumb joke. And uh, I'm sorry, her joke wasn't dumb. Please never replay this for her. Don't tell her I said that. Her joke wasn't dumb. My joke was dumb. But her joke was a six-year-old's joke. And it it's a testament to us just doing what we do as humans, making light, finding humor, uh, and taking care of each other through that uh, also, not just making room for the grief. And so um, here I am, back to You're Going to Die, the podcast, And it's still a place for sadness and grief. I mean, that's the truth. And, uh, I don't want to deny that point to what we do with You're Going to Die. It, it, it's an essential part of it. And really, You're Going to Die, poetry, prose, and everything goes. Uh, that's the heart of the movement is an open mic space where everything grew from. All of You're Going to Die comes from that event. And that event is a place for people to come and sign up and share whatever they want in the conversation of our shared mortality. And often it's grief-stricken and it's sad and it's heartbroken. And that's just what what it is. That's what, what comes up there a lot because we don't have enough spaces to do that. And those kinds of things define us more than most anything in our life that we talk about maybe too much. I mean, we talk about our jobs more than... The loss of a parent, you know, and I'm not saying jobs don't define us and shouldn't, but losing my mom is a huge part of what defined me after 2003, having her in my life, losing her and It's it was rare that I could talk to people about it. And there were times when I didn't want to, but it often felt really good when I could. And you're going to die poetry prose and everything goes is born from that. It it was born from being able or needing to create that space and, and finding out that other people needed it, too. So, yeah, I want to be funny. I want to be light. I want chicken jokes about chickens slapping their other hand, chickens clapping. And I want to write to-do lists sometimes and be silly on social media about death and dying. But I also feel grief-stricken and I get depressed. And I need a place to bring that. And this community, and a lot of which a lot of these people, they're my friends uh, that do this work with me, they are my friends because they needed it, too. And they came to You're Going to Die, and that's what they got. They got a place to do that, and they never left. And that brings me to wanting to share this next segment with you. Um, and and I'll just say Scott Ferreter, who you may have heard me mention before if you listened to the last couple episodes.
1: Nope, haven't heard of him.
0: Uh, he is doing our sound engineering. Oh, nice. But he's far more than that as far as inspiration goes for... Uh, You're going to die the podcast and you're going to die in general, but we've been recording over the last year or so content for the podcast and a ton of it we're never going to use and one strong stretch of content strong as in the amount of passion and humanity that we poured into it is real and dense and thick not strong like we've got to use it all uh, because we won't but you're going to hear some of that on this episode and that's mainly the part of the podcast that we originally recorded where Scott talks about losing his father. But Scott one day, and Scott, you can interject here. I want you to edit in interjections if I'm wrong about this story. Oh, I'll be interjecting. But Scott. But Scott? He um, left Sacramento one evening, was heading towards a show. I think he was playing in Santa Cruz or something. Nope, I wasn't playing and it wasn't Santa Cruz. Or maybe, no, he was playing in Davis. Nope. Davis, yes. Davis, nope. As he was going to the show, he just felt himself, like, knowing that he usually wants to be at shows, needs to go to the show, he felt something else pull him and say, no, I don't want to do that. And so he just kept driving.
1: So in Ned's version of the story, I'm uh, a pretty unreliable person, but in reality, I was just going to a show but it was unusual because I was really excited about it. And then all of a sudden didn't want to go at all. And his plan was to go to the beach and drive all the way to the beach from
0: Sacramento. But he didn't, he didn't do that. He drove into San Francisco and he was like, I need to go someplace else. I'm going to go to that, that venue that I've been to before uh, called Viracocha. And he couldn't really remember where it was. He didn't know what was going on, if it was open, if anything was happening there. And he parked, found the venue Showed up in the middle of... Let me guess, a bat mitzvah. You're going to die of poetry, prose, and everything goes. Oh. And walked down into that space, what we've been doing for the last 10 years, and found a home for his music and his, his grief around the death of his father, and that's what i mean okay scott is one of the funniest friends that i have well how funny are your other friends and thank god for him because mostly while i've cried with him a lot mostly i get to laugh with him and there is humor and joy and lightness in that friendship and in our our relationship and our work together with you're going to die but also we met because of the most heartbroken parts of our life the biggest losses that we've endured and um And so it's both, it's all of it. And that's what you're going to die is. So I have to unabashedly say so, but also I'm working on trying to create stuff that's got the humor and feels fun and funny. And now I'm going to share the stretch of Scott and my conversation where he talks about his dad dying. Um, So I just talked a lot about how I'm going to try to be funny and lighter and more humorous with this work. And I promise I will. And now listen to this.
1: My dad died in 2012 and the, actually weeks before getting the call that he was even sick, um, I kept telling my really good friend Pablo over and over, we were on this trip up in Point Reyes, and I kept telling him, um, I think everything's gonna change this next year. Um, And that's also when, you know, people were talking about the Mayan calendar ending and so there was a lot of talk of like 2012 being this big year whether it's like the end of the universe as we know it or what Um, and I kept telling him I know that's what people are talking about and that's what I'm feeling Um, and through my dad's um, through the knowing that he was going to die and then through his death I experienced a more concise and immediate and vibrant experience of life than I ever had up until that point, and I feel like I had been living a life where I was really seeking depth and seeking awareness and awakeness, um, and it put some puzzle piece into its place. And I, I believe that if I were in a you know different time and different. Society, um, that puzzle piece wouldn't be so removed from my experience of life to begin with. Um, but because I had grown up with death as just kind of this like blank spot where it's like certain people are forced all of a sudden to reckon not only with the fact that somebody they love is dying, but also in that span of time, reckon with the fact that all of us are. Um, and I had a really privileged, um, experience of my dad's death because I had a couple months with him and because I was able to drop everything and move back, um, home. And, um, um, I was able to play music for him and, um, When I went to the music shop down the street to buy some picks or something, the guy who owns the place who just talks a million miles a minute and who I've never heard talk um, of anything beyond um, guitar players and their different styles, um, he looked me in the eyes when I told him what was going on. And he said, I'll tell you right now that it's going to be one of the honors of your lifetime getting to play for your dad on his deathbed. and that turned out to be so, so true. And, um, the, the feeling of vibrancy, the feeling of intimacy with life that I felt around that time was something that I couldn't just, um, let go of and go back to, the way things were. And I couldn't, I not only couldn't do that for myself, but I felt um, this really big, deep obligation to provide that experience for other people. And so for me, that meant getting to work on music that would open that up for people. And it meant at you know, the day of his funeral, it meant not playing the songs that I had prepared, but also playing um, this song I had written for him, which felt like too much. And the thing that I've discovered through my own relationship to his death and and the way I've felt about the stories I've written is that, or the songs and the stories and everything I've said about it. Because I was really um, committed to telling people the truth every time they asked me. What was going on? Even just, how are you doing? Somebody I don't know. During that time, I just all of a sudden couldn't stand to tell people, oh, I'm doing well. How about you? It didn't matter. I just was saying, well, I'm a little confused right now. I just got back from the hospital and my dad's dying and it was a sweet visit and I'm confused right now. And I'd like a, you know, um, soy milk steamer. Um, Medium. Yes, thank you you
0: for making what you said most clear in in that you gave us the full-on context. Like someone from a cafe would ask you, like, how are you doing? And you would go there.
1: Right. And it made for some of the, like... I felt more connected to other people than than ever, and it's how I feel at the end of the Poetry, Prose, and Everything Goes shows where I look around and all of a sudden it's like I'm aware of the fact that I'm in this room with other precious beings who are here now and won't be in some time. Um, And I tried to make that on my own with my music, and then, I mean, you know the story, but just complete magic led me to... Ending up in in the basement of Viracocha at the You're Going to Die Poetry, Pros and Everything Goes show. And I didn't know what I was walking into, but I could feel it. And I felt that it was the thing I'd been trying to create, which was an experience that would bring people to that place of awareness and presence and awakeness and a sense of. um, I think a lot of it for me just comes back to being um, like admitting defeat in the face of the mystery. Um, Because I feel like so much of our existence is is trying to claim what we know and what we can count on and how, you know, predicting this and that. And then all of a sudden when something so big gets shifted, um, there's this wonderful um, handing over of, I guess, control and power. Um, It's really uh unsettling in a big beautiful way mm-hmm. um that's a great
0: way of putting it i feel like it makes uh i feel like it makes i feel like it would only make sense to share a song mm. uh now from your album see you in the morning light um which is an album I adore and have listened to through the last couple years to really get me through my newest versions of being mortal and struggling and and the heartbreak of life. Um, And I know that, and I tell people, you know, it's an album that's born from the life and death of your father, in a way. Um, mm-hmm. At least that's my way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your way of putting it? And what song do you think would be
1: the best to share yeah. right now? The way I talk about it is that I was honoring honoring my father as a person, and then honoring my my family, um, and my greater community's uh, grief in losing him because i felt like there were so many things that um again like i talked about my experience of losing him there were so many things that i couldn't stand to just have um gone quite yet i needed to share them with other people um so let's play let's play dad's chest Mm -hmm. um that's actually the song that I played at his funeral and I, I again showed up there not thinking I was going to do that. And, um, yeah, I, I wrote the song before it was even, um, staged at stage four. If I remember right, it wasn't even staged as being stage four yet. And so something about writing this song felt even more like, um, uh, what's it's like, part of me was going like how dare you like don't go there don't don't talk about his death Um, it's not here yet Um, and yet some other part of me that knew better needed to write this Um, and then as I was making the record three years later spontaneously kind of my response to myself from that place came out and that's dad's chest part two And that's why those two songs are, you know, in two parts because cool. one was written before the death and one after.
0: Are we gonna play them both? Yeah. Great. So this is Dad's Chest Part One and Part Two.
1: All right. Make me that bed, Dad's chest bed, greatest bed there ever was.
0: If you could see the grin on my face listening to that song. Oh, and the tears. I've listened to that album. I don't even know how many times. Yeah, those songs are from a full-length album called See You in the Morning Light, which is what Scott's dad used to say to him every night when he'd put him to bed. And I say it to my kids now. I do, oh, I love those songs. And I'll never forget seeing Scott play that music in Viracocha, writhing on stage. I I mean that. I just remember not only being swallowed up by his music fully, but just seeing his physical presence on stage and how he played and how he lean forth and bowed into his music and to us. And uh, I I mean, I knew then I must have in my gut that I found a new best friend of my life. And that's what he's become. And it all, it all happened because of you're going to die poetry, prose and everything goes that open mic, that place to come and bear the heartbreak. And, and so I want to share a little bit more of what that open mic is, and uh, and remind you that this podcast is a version of it. It's a place to come and share of yourself if you need to, but listen from the place where your heartbreak meets mine, where your heartbreak meets Scott's. Um, that's how the open mics work. It's like all of us coming and bringing our heart heartbreak to each other, and remembering we're not alone. You're not alone, that we're in this together, that we're mortal together, that we're all going to die. But for now, we're alive and making this world together. And you might remember from the opening of this episode. Do you remember what happened in the beginning? I want to do it with you now at the beginning of every open mic I mean, as far back as I can remember, I don't even know when it started. It feels like it's always been there. As a group, the audience and I would say on the count of three, I'm going to die together. And uh, when Scott and I recorded the first unreleased uh, episode of You're Going to Die, we did that together, and I want to do it now with Scott and you guys. So... Let's do it. Everybody on the count of three, let's all say I'm going to die wherever you are. Even if you're even if you're sitting next to someone at a at a at a park, which you may not likely be doing now. I, as I realized, gosh, that'd usually be a good joke. I simultaneously realized there should be six feet between you and anyone else. Okay, let's just say you're sitting on your couch next to uh, your roommate and and you've got uh, earbuds in listening to this podcast, <laughs> and your roommate's sitting uh, at the other end of the couch, and suddenly just say, I'm going to die out loud. Wherever you are, let's do it. Ready? Just like we do at the shows. Just like we do at the shows. One, two, three, I'm, I'm going, going to die. But for now, we are alive. If you're hearing this, um, you must be. And as I said, this is a place for you to bring whatever you have and know that I really mean that. I don't mean just energetically or thoughtfully or with your imagination. I actually mean we are accepting submissions to the podcast and all that means is take your little recorder on your phone and record five minutes or less a song a story uh just you talking spontaneously about what this episode made you feel like how it how it heard or what it opened up suddenly i, I mean that the my favorite moments at the open mic are the moments where someone just suddenly shares and they didn't plan on it but whatever you got record it send it to ned at yg2d.com and we'll see if we can find a place for it in the ongoing episodes here and i've got a version of that for you today from john elliot another one of the friends i've made doing you're going to die i love him and he's got a little something to say
2: I understand that iPhones and computers and Zoom and FaceTime and Verizon Wireless and Apple and all of these things are tools that are helping us stay connected. And Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Reddit and The Huffington Post. The Huffington Post. I understand these are things that are uh, helping us stay connected. And that's our reality and everything. But right now, man, I hate those things so much. I I hate them. 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 I hate that I try to sing baby beluga and twinkle twinkle little star and down by the bay with my nieces in boston but the wi-fi connection on their end is not good and then the wi-fi connection on my end is not good and so and then i'm singing baby beluga and they're like seconds behind me but sometimes I can hear them singing but they're singing behind me and not in the right key and it's like every second they freeze I hate it I hate it I would rather not do it than do it it's better to not do it than do it we have gone way too far down this road we are a species we should be just hanging out in room I mean I mean not this road, like in the short term of the virus. I mean the long term of like the Industrial Revolution and the Agricultural Revolution. Like we're just supposed to be in groups of 50 and 60 and 70 and maybe a hundred, maybe, hunting and gathering and roaming around. And yes, in that time also we die at 40, but maybe it's about quality, not quantity. And uh That's just it, man. I mean, it's like, you want to talk about being alone or not being alone or whatever. It's like, screens are not, they don't work. It's not a replacement. Sound coming in 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 zeros and ones across wires, poorly bad wires, because we don't invest in public infrastructure in this country, is not a replacement for analog... Sound waves moving through the air and hitting your eardrums, which is the drum in your ear and the actual connection and truth, true connection and true exchange of energy that that creates. It is not possible on Zoom. Zoom, thank you for what you're giving this moment. Thank you for what you've created. It's not possible. It's not as good. It's worse. It's way worse. Much, much, much worse. And yet, in the spirit of being positive, I had a reunion with a college class of mine, like 20 people from a college class from 20 years ago. And as the Zoom like zoomed up and opened up, suddenly there were, you know, 20 faces and 20 years just passed in an instant. And then there there they all were at once simultaneously. That was mind blowing, you know. So thank you for that Zoom. I got a lot of gratitude for you. And as soon as we get past this moment, I never, well, I am never say never. I'm probably going to be Zooming the rest of my life now.
0: Thanks, John Elliott, for being one of the great friends of my life. I cannot imagine doing this thing without you. Truly, truly uh, so grateful for you, brother, for the laughter and for showing up during the hardest times. Um, you are a precious friend. And um, thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast. If you want to support the podcast, one big way to do that is rate and review it if you're feeling it. Um, if you hated it, maybe just don't waste any time doing anything. Just, just go do something else. But if this podcast means something to you, it touched you, it moved you, it inspired you in some way, just go online especially to Apple podcast and give it a little star love and give it some words of review. Um, you cannot know how much that helps and also share it. If this thing meant something to you um, think of someone else, it might mean something to too. and send it to them. And other than that, uh, big thanks to Scott Ferreter for all his work on this thing. Uh, Boy, what a great friend you are, and I'm so glad we get to do this stuff together. And this is a little bit of an apology to all of you for what I'm about to do, but hey, we got a ton of bloopers that we pulled from the first unofficial, never-to-be-released episode, and I think Scott and I deserve some of that uh, guttural laughter to be shared. So if you don't want to listen to it, you can just turn it off, but we're going to include it here so that it exists, because every time I listen to it, I laugh, and maybe you will too. Um and it's to the point about this whole thing. We're not just here to have heartbreak, meet heartbreak, and make space for all that. But we're also here to laugh and um, be joyful. And I hope if You're Going to Die is doing um, doing anything for you other than meeting you where you're hurting, I hope it's making you laugh a little and helping you find some joy and making things a little lighter in some ways. And I hope the podcast does that. So we are going to play some bloopers from that unofficial, never to be released episode. Um, And uh, other than that, remember, two things are true. You're going to die. That's number one. Number two, you haven't yet. And the rest is up to you. Thank you again so much for listening. Until next time. Uh, This is Ned Buskirk. You're going to die. The podcast exists Mm. now. Um, that's great. That sound you hear mm-hmm. is... Might tell me I am hungry. <laughs> How many band names have you had? Uh, let's say a dozen. Are you just wanting to just... Answer the question by throwing a number out there. Gen- I'm genuinely, just you've had a answering
1: <laughs> the question with a, a made-up number. Um, it's a real that's number. That's probably about accurate. Yeah, <laughs> I made that one up. I called it a dozen. What
0: he ended up doing is asking all of his guests that. <laughs>
1: You <laughs> just started laughing. Did you hear that sound? Yeah, that was my—that was actually literally my stomach. Your stomach's like, don't you falsely introduce me? I'm gonna introduce myself.
0: <laughs> really, my stomach. That wow. one was literally my stomach. I wonder if you guys could hear
1: that. It was pretty loud. I oh, mean, you they heard. can hear it. I'm gonna—I know the sound guy who's gonna be mixing this. I'll tell him you'll, to you'll pump it. Bump up too. It.
0: Yeah, b- bump <laughs> that tummy.
1: Um. So as I was saying,
0: yeah. we're in Scott's garage. There's like two lights on and a lava lamp. The garage is also his bedroom, mm-hmm. and his music room. I mean, it's all that stuff. I'm sure it's a lot of stuff and more.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the podcast just got sexy so wow. <laughs> and that giggly. Wick shit Yeah. Wow. I didn't. Re- There's two beds in here. Three. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can you say that deeper? Can you say that deeper? Three. <laughs> A dozen. A dozen beds. Dozen beds. But the curated shows are... Um <laughs> oh, that definitely been, got picked up this, on the mic my that has had been to be picked up making so much noise i think the fact that i'm in a rocking chair just constantly is just working my <laughs> digestive system and so i'm like anytime i do the so far that i've done the podcast a lot of activity yeah a lot of activity in the tummy area um and when i say we're i mean Me and my tummy. (laughs) 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 That's my tummy, everybody. You're Going to Die, the podcast, is made possible with a grant from the Peck Foundation and listeners like you. If you'd like to support the podcast and more of what You're Going to Die is up to in the world, head over to www.yg2d.com and click Donate.